This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, today we're continuing our brand new series here at Courageous Church called The Future is Bright. As I said last week, people of God, you are the light of the world. And God is calling you to arise and shine so that others will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's for this reason alone that we believe the future is bright. Throughout this series, we're going to explore why we believe that and why we believe you can too. Last week, we spoke about the kingdom of God. And today, we're going to be talking about the church and a message I'm calling an unstoppable force. Today I want to look at what it means to be a part of God's great building project and how I believe the church is called to be an unstoppable force in the earth today. When Jesus came announcing the good news of the kingdom of God, he came to let people know what God was now up to in the world through his own life and ministry. But Jesus knew that his time on earth would be limited and relatively short-lived. How would the message and the reality of this kingdom be carried on? How would it continue to be shared and lived out among the peoples of the world? And how would it reach those who have never heard it? As it turns out, Jesus had a plan. While Jesus was with his disciples, and in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 19 in the ESV, it says this, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's clear at this point in the story that people still weren't sure about who Jesus really was. Some said he was John the Baptist. Others said Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They clearly thought him to be some sort of figure of importance, but they couldn't figure out who. So Jesus turns to Peter, one of his closest friends and disciples, and he makes it more personal. After all, Peter had been one of Jesus' closest friends. Surely he would know more than anyone at this point who Jesus really was. And believe it or not, Peter gets it right. He says, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus respond, responds, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood had not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus acknowledges Peter's confession as being revelation that came only from God the Father himself, which begs the question, how did Peter receive that special revelation? Could it be that while he was hanging out with Jesus, while he was spending time with Jesus, he actually was spending time with the Father and didn't know it? Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 30, says this, I and the Father are one. See, Jesus seemed to believe that his union with God the Father meant that they were together somehow. He would even say things like this in John chapter 5, verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, 
that the Son does likewise. And then, of course, in John chapter 12, verse 49, in the NLT, it says this, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. In some way, Jesus was so synced up with the Father that everything he did was influenced by him, in partnership with him, and submitted to him. And it's because of this reality that I believe Peter, in spending so much time with Jesus, bumped up against the Father without even knowing it or realizing it. Peter says, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one, the chosen one, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, there's no way that flesh and blood could have told you that or revealed that to you. Meaning, there was something else going on in Peter's time spent with Jesus that brought about that revelation in his life. So here's the point I want to start with today. If you want to understand the nature of God and the nature of his kingdom, you've got to spend time with Jesus. Jesus has to be the center and focal point for our lives. If he isn't, then our understanding of God and his kingdom, his gospel, even the church, is going to be off. And we've all seen what happens, unfortunately, when that's the case. And so I'll say this. If you're struggling with who God is in your life and you're still not sure about who Jesus is, spend some time really reading through the Gospels. It's amazing how much insight and perspective they bring from different viewpoints and real people who actually spent time with Jesus themselves. Like them, the invitation for you and I is to come close so that we too would know that we know that we know, come on, that we know who Jesus really is. Jesus could have stopped with Peter's confession alone, and if he did, it would still have been an amazing acknowledgement of who he is as the Christ and the Son of the living God. But amazingly, Jesus continues. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Interestingly, Jesus gives Simon a new name here and with it a new meaning and destiny. He says, you're no longer Simon Bar-Jonah, meaning the son of Jonah. You're now Peter or Petros, which literally means a fragment of rock or a stone in the Greek. He says, Simon, you're now a rock or a stone. And on this rock, this Petra, and he uses the Greek feminine form of the word, I will build my church, my ecclesia. Now, there's a few amazing things that are happening within this statement by Jesus that I want to point out to us for the purpose of our time together today. Number one, Jesus acknowledges and agrees with Simon's confession about him being the Christ and the Son of the living God. This is huge. Everything Jesus is about to say next is going to be built off this revelation given to Peter by God the Father. Number two, Jesus, in doing a little bit of wordplay here and in giving Simon a new name, affirms that as a rock or stone, Peter will become a fragment or part or piece of how Jesus is going to initiate his great building project called the church, the ecclesia. And Jesus himself is going to build it. Number three, Jesus seems to believe that the gates of hell or Hades in the Greek will not prevail against his church. In other words, he believes this church, this ecclesia that he is building will be unstoppable. It's important to note here that this is the first time that the word church or ecclesia is used in the New Testament, but it's not a new term altogether. Ecclesia was quite commonly understood in the ancient Roman world to mean a public gathering of a civil and sometimes even religious nature. The same term was also used to describe a regularly called for legal assembly of the city and its citizens. But Jesus does something very unique with the term. 
contrasting its usage within the Roman world, Jesus declares how his kingdom rulership and governance is going to be carried out in the lives of his followers, beginning with Peter, through an ecclesia that he alone is building, an ecclesia that cannot be stopped. Elsewhere in scripture and throughout church history, we see how ecclesia is both broadened to include all the people of God in the way that they both gather and scatter throughout the world. In the book of Acts, which uses the term 23 times to refer to the church, we get a sense that Christ's ecclesia includes both local congregations and assemblies and the universal church at large. The term also appears 62 times in Paul's letters and another 20 times in the book of Revelation. So let's talk about this ecclesia, why it matters to us, and what God wants to do with it. As I said before, the church is God's great building project on the earth. Not to be confused with the kingdom itself, the church is the manner through which God carries out his kingdom or rulership in the earth. He does it through people like you and like me. Sometimes people mistakenly say things like God is building his kingdom, when in reality what they mean is that God is actually advancing his kingdom because his kingdom is already built and well established in the heavens and it is coming or advancing on the earth. Jesus taught his own followers to pray for God's kingdom to come. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, the kingdom is not something we build. It's something we pray for and live out and express by being submitted to God's rulership as king on earth. We looked at this last week in talking about the kingdom of God. The church, on the other hand, the ecclesia, is something that God is actively building in the earth. He's gathering up and calling out people from all nations and tribes, making them into living stones that are being built up together to become his spiritual temple in the earth. And the manner through which he is expressing and advancing the life of his kingdom. Listen to the language of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-7, through 7, one of my favorite texts. It says this, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Friends, Christ is the living cornerstone of the church. Along with Christ, you and I are living stones that he's placing and fitting together stone upon stone, brick upon brick, to be built up together as his spiritual temple. The phrase spiritual temple here in the Greek is pneumatikos oikos, and it means a spiritual house or a dwelling place. In other words, you and I have become the dwelling place or house of God. The church, as it turns out, is God's chosen way of dwelling upon the earth, and that includes his chosen way of manifesting his life and kingdom. It means that God wants your life and mine to be a house for his spirit. And that happens, of course, individually, but even more so corporately when we come together. When we gather as living stones, we most accurately reflect what it means to be his spiritual temple. Peter here, who is the author of this text, knows all too well what it means to be made a living stone. 
because, as we saw earlier, Jesus himself chose Peter. He pulled him out of his worldly occupation and gave him a new name and a new purpose. So do you think it's a coincidence here that Peter is turning around and now calling other people rocks too? He's saying, you're a living stone just like me. You're a living stone that God is going to use to build his church just like Jesus said he would. Now, you might feel discarded. You might feel cheap. You might feel broken. You might feel imperfect. You might feel unusable. You might even feel overlooked, just like I'm sure Jesus did as a stone rejected by men. But I'm here to tell you today that in the hands of our master creator, God, you are a precious and living stone, handpicked and selected by the builder himself for glorious display. That's what you are. And that's what the church is. A bunch of ordinary people like you and me and Peter who have been handpicked by an extraordinary God to reflect his extraordinary glory and beauty upon the earth. That's precisely what Jesus had in mind when he said he would build his church. And as it turns out, he said there's nothing that can stop it. Not the gates of hell, not Hades, not death, not the devil, not COVID-19. Come on, not even the world can stop the advance of what Jesus is building. Beloved, the church is God's unstoppable force, which means that we can be courageous about it. We can be courageous about what God is calling us into because we know that Jesus has invited us to participate in what he alone is building, and that's people. Jesus is building people. He's building great lives through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit at work within us and all around us. And even more astoundingly, like Peter, he's inviting us to be a part of that effort. Friends, that means we have a job to do. And there are some specific things that God is calling us as a people to accomplish. As Christ's church is ecclesia in the earth. We've already alluded to a few of them, but for the remainder of our time together, I want to look at five distinct purposes of the church that we can be about today in being God's unstoppable force in the earth. Are you with me? Okay. The first purpose of the church is this, worship. Worship, ministering to God's heart. 1 Peter 2.5, a text we just looked at, says this, What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We offer spiritual sacrifices that please God, the scriptures say here. In doing so, he calls us holy priests that through the mediation of Jesus Christ and his blood, carry out ministry that first and foremost honors him. That's a big reason why when we come together as the church to worship and pray, we see it as a holy calling and a privilege. When we gather to worship and pray, we're, we're not just singing songs and offering up words. No, no, no. When we gather to worship and pray, we're acting as priests. And in that, through our praise and our worship, we actually get to minister to God's heart. How awesome is that? So when we gather, we do so above all things to love on Jesus, to adore Jesus, to make much of Jesus, to celebrate Jesus, to give thanks to Jesus. We see this as beautiful because it blesses his heart. Mark chapter 14 Verse 3 through 9 says this, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came out with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. 
Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you'll always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can go do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Her worship was so beautiful to Jesus that wherever the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed in the world, this testimony of it is to be told as well. Friends, our worship is our greatest witness. That's how powerful it is. And that's really what worship is all about. It's about our full life being presented as a living sacrifice and testimony to God, as Romans 12 suggests. And we can express our worship through songs of adoration and praise, through giving, through prayer, through communion, and by just being in his presence together with no agenda and no other place to have to run off to. You know what our real agenda should be? To please God's heart in worship. In our mission statement as a church, we express this as loving Jesus courageously. And the idea is that our first priority or mandate as a people who gather is to love Jesus and to do so with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So the church is the gathered assembly of believers who come together to minister to God's heart in worship. The second purpose of the church is this, fellowship, encouraging one another in community. We see this real clearly in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 44, it says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. So what is fellowship really? It's encouraging one another in community. Notice that the early church was all together and they shared meals and everything that they had with one another. In other words, they weren't afraid to do life together and to give what they had. They helped each other, come on. And that's a big reason why we place such a high emphasis upon community and sharing life together as a loving family because that's really what we are. We are the family of God. We're God's beloved children. We're his sons and daughters. And we're learning how to live out this spiritual life together, which means this. We need each other. You need me and I need you. God did not create any of us to live alone or do life alone because he created us for fellowship. The word fellowship here in the Greek is koinonia, and it means community, but not just any community, a new kind of community, a spiritual community of people from different backgrounds and ethnicities and tribes and languages who have been brought together in Christ Jesus and made one. Church, don't be divided. Don't let the enemy come in and divide you. We are one in Christ Jesus. Don't allow yourself to be sucked into foolish arguments or quarreling with others over politics and social preferences. Come on. And especially don't let others try to persuade you into forsaking the gathering of God's people, the ecclesia. Because the truth is this, we need each other now more than ever before. You need the church and the church needs you. Amen? Amen. And I want to say this, as the gathered church, I really believe God wants us to keep it simple. I think we've complicated things a bit and put a lot of pressure on the church 
through the years to be so many things to all people, when in reality, and in its purest form, the church is simply a gathering of people who want to minister to God's heart and to each other together. Which means it can happen anywhere. That's the beauty of it. That's the best part. And we see this most vividly in the book of Acts, where the church gathered in public places like temples and synagogues, and also privately in homes and small groups. Acts 2, verses 46 through 47 says this, They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. So the church can gather in public. The church can gather at home. The church can gather in a movie theater. The church can gather in a gymnasium. The church can gather secretly or underground. The church can gather anywhere people are willing to come together to worship Jesus and encourage one another in community. So don't be divided by those who say, well, we do church the right way, or this is the real and only biblical way of being the church. Unfortunately, those people are often those who got offended and hurt and have created a way or form for them that best soothes their pain or serves their own preference or self-interest. So the church is the gathered assembly of believers who come together to minister to God's heart in worship and to encourage one another in community. The third purpose of the church is this, discipleship, becoming a devoted follower of Jesus. As a church, we believe that we become what we behold. In other words, we become like what we worship. Meaning, if you behold Jesus, if you love and adore and worship Jesus, you're eventually going to become like him. And you worship Jesus not just in song, but by following his commands and his teachings. That's literally what it means to take on his yoke. It's becoming his apprentice, his disciple, somebody who follows closely after him. In our mission statement as a church, we express this as following Jesus courageously. Now, our goal is that you would come to love and worship and behold Jesus, which we believe will lead you to follow Jesus by becoming like him. That's looking like him and doing what he did. And that's the goal for all of our lives. That's the goal that we would become like Jesus. That's also the great commission of the church to make disciples of all nations baptizing them in Jesus' name, and teaching them to obey everything that Christ commanded. So as it turns out, we follow Jesus by obeying what he's commanded and taught us to do. We looked at that last week. And where do we discover what he's commanded and taught us to do? Well, of course, in his word. This is why we place such a high value and emphasis on learning and reading and hearing God's word together. We're essentially figuring out what Christ wants us to do about it. And this includes its direct application for our lives. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Did you catch that? They devoted themselves, meaning they took responsibility for committing themselves to God's word and the teachings of Jesus, which is what God wants us to do as well. So it's not just the job of the preacher to do this for you. It's actually your job to devote yourself to God's word. Why? Because you want to become like Jesus. Because you want to love and follow Jesus. Because you have it in your heart and have come to a place of decision about it for your own self. Of course, God calls pastors like myself and teachers to come alongside to help equip you for the works of ministry that God is calling you to do. But at the end of the day, we can only lead a horse to water 
We can't make it drink. Come on. Meaning God wants you to take ownership of your own faith and walk with Him. So the church is the gathered assembly of believers who come together to minister to God's heart in worship, to encourage one another in community, who become devoted followers of Jesus. The fourth purpose of the church is this, ministry. It's serving the needs of others. As we've seen here in Acts chapter 2, the early followers of Jesus met together and shared all that they had in common. They sold their belongings and goods and gave to anyone that had a need. And they broke bread and shared meals together and prayed for each other. So they met physical needs, absolutely. And as it turns out, they also met spiritual needs. It says that they broke bread and prayed together. The prayers that they prayed were just as valuable, friends. So if someone was sick, they would pray for God's healing. If someone had a crisis going on, they would pray for God's help. And in this way, they would meet both the physical and the spiritual needs of people whenever they gathered together. And here's the good news. The good news is that I believe that God is still in the business of doing the same thing today, of meeting people's needs. He still wants to minister to people, and he wants to do that through you and through me. We call this doing ministry. And here's the kicker. Everyone has been called to do ministry because everyone can serve someone. Jesus himself said, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He did this by becoming what the prophet Isaiah refers to as the great and suffering servant. In doing so, Jesus served us even to the point of his own suffering and death. And in some ways, he's calling us to do the same, to die to our own self-interest and to do so by serving those around us. Additionally, we believe that we actually serve Jesus in and through the way that we serve people. In our mission statement as a church, we express this as serving Jesus courageously. Matthew 25, verses 35 through 36 and verse 40 says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the king will answer them truly in verse 40. I say to you, as you did it to one of these, least of these brothers, you did it to me. The word for servant in the Bible is diakonos in the Greek, and it means one who ministers to or attends to or serves another. Church, that's what God is calling every one of us to do, to serve someone by becoming a servant, a diakonos to them. We also call this servant leadership, where the way in which we lead or influence others is actually informed and defined by the manner in which we serve them. At Courageous Church, we do this through what we call our serve team. As a team, we believe that everyone can serve and minister to the needs of others around them. That means everyone is a minister, not just Pastor Jason and Candace. And the truth is this, it takes all of us doing our part together to see this fulfilled in our gatherings. Sure, you might not have the physical means to buy someone a car or pay their rent, but you can pray for them. You can serve them a cup of coffee in Jesus' name. You can greet them and encourage them. Shoot, you can even serve and love on their kids. And as it turns out, we do this every time we gather as a church, and you can too. At our website, CourageousChurch.com, we've listed a bunch of different ministries and ways that you can get involved today serving our church, our ecclesia, our gathering. And we'd encourage you to do that today because every need, no matter how big or small, actually matters to God. And that means it matters to us too.
So the church is the gathered assembly of believers who come together to minister to God's heart in worship, to encourage one another in community, who become devoted followers and apprentices of Jesus that serve the needs of others. The fifth and final purpose of the church is this, evangelism, sharing good news with the world around us. Evangelism is the mission of the church. Sometimes we like to use that word instead. And that is to share the good news of Jesus and his kingdom with the world around us. Just as Jesus came announcing the gospel or good news of the kingdom and all that the Father was doing to bring his kingdom into the present time, we too are called to embody and carry this message to our world, which means that wherever you are and whatever the Lord has called you to, you are a missionary to your culture and those around you. And your mission is to share some good news. As a church, this is one of our great and core values, to be a people who are rooted in the gospel, meaning we're grounded in and we take our cues from Christ's gospel, his good news. After all, we've heard the greatest story ever told, and we should all want to share it and tell it to others, right? Now, I know some people say that the best form of evangelism is you living out your faith in front of others and when necessary using words, but Biblically speaking, the best form of evangelism is still telling other people about what Jesus has done for them. It's you declaring with your mouth and with words God's good news for them. After all, good news is meant to be heard. It's you telling people the good news that God is no longer holding their sins against them. It's you telling them that Jesus has canceled their debts and is offering them the gift of his grace and righteousness. It's you telling them that because Jesus loves them and died for them, he's also removed every barrier so that they could fully experience his life and have it more abundantly. It's you telling them that the future is bright. Friends, the future is bright because of Jesus' finished work on that cross. As a church, we believe that and we are committed to this purpose of sharing God's good news with others. Practically speaking, and if nothing else, it means that you can at least tell them what God has done for you. We call that sharing your testimony. How has God changed your life? Sharing your testimony or story with people is actually another great way of doing evangelism. Church, keep it simple. As in, Go do things that you like to do with people who don't know Jesus and share your story with them. You like to golf? All right. Invite someone who doesn't know Jesus to go golf with you and, and watch how God works in that. You like to shop? Well, go shop with someone who doesn't know Jesus and watch how God works in that. It opens up a door. The key is to say yes to God and to remain available and ready to share some good news. Once again, it's not meant to be complicated, but simple. God is simply inviting you to share his heart and his story with people all around you. And that's it. So the church is the gathered assembly of believers who come together to minister to God's heart in worship, to encourage one another in community, who become devoted followers of Jesus that serve the needs of others and share good news with the world around us. People of God, that's our definition of a courageous church. When we gather to do all these things, we know that we're truly an unstoppable force. Jesus went on to tell Peter that he was going to give him the keys to the kingdom of heaven, including the power to bind and to loose things on heaven and on earth. Church, I believe that Jesus has extended that same power and authority to us, which happens when we freely accept his invitation to be a part of what he's building in the earth today, his courageous ecclesia. Maybe you've been watching or listening to this message and 
You're ready to say yes to Jesus and yes to be a part of what he alone is building. Well, the good news is that he's already said yes to you. And so I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. And it goes like this. Jesus, Savior, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the things that keep me bound. I believe and confess that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on that cross for me and that God raised you to life again. Jesus, I ask that you would come and give me a new life of freedom and hope in you. Make me your church, your favorite dwelling place. Come fill me with your Holy Spirit and make all things new. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And if you just prayed that with us, we want to know about it today. For those of you that said yes to Jesus for the very first time, we want to say welcome to the family of God. And we'd love to help you get connected either here at Courageous Church or wherever you're watching from. Or maybe today you recommitted your life to Christ Day or asked for the Holy Spirit to fill you for the first time. Either way, we'd love to help serve you. And here's how. You can go to CourageousChurch.com to fill out a digital connect card. This will help our team know how to best follow up with you and pray for you in the days ahead. We also want to come alongside you as you begin your new faith journey by sending you a Bible and helping you take some next steps. For those of you here in the Salt Lake Valley, we're currently gathering at 9550 South State Street in Sandy. It's the place where we do our prayer nights on Tuesdays at 7.30 as well. And we'd love for you to come out and join us here. As always, if Courageous Church is your home church, we want to remind you to honor God with your giving. Your generosity allows us and enables us to reach many with the hope, healing, courage, and life of Jesus. It allows us to advance His good news for the people of Salt Lake City, the Mountain West, and beyond. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing with this church to make a difference, you can use one of the links that we've posted right there in the comment section. Or just head on over to CourageousChurch.com slash giving to give online. Church, we love you. The future is bright and you are God's best. So be strong and courageous. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.